Welcome to another episode of Kinsider. I'm your host, Chris Peterson. Today, we're chatting with Moksha Fitzgibbons, president at Network, a company that has been dubbed Gen Z's answer to the home shopping network, to learn how technology and social media are changing the retail and fashion industries, as well as blurring the lines between an online store and a full-blown media company. Moksha, welcome to Kinsider. Thanks for having me. Of course, yeah. Hey, so tell us what Network is. So Network is a relatively new business. We launched about 18 months ago. It is a really exciting, innovative platform that merges entertainment with retail experience in the palm of consumers' hands. So if in kind of a layman's approach, it feels like Instagram Live or Snapchat from a consumer experience where every day we have a live broadcast that features celebrities, athletes, influencers in a fun, irreverent piece of video content. And during that broadcast, consumers with one click can purchase the product that we're featuring. And that product tends to be of some level of exclusivity or new to market. It has a lot of desirability around it. And then a few days later, consumers are delivered that product in a safe, contactless manner through FedEx. So it sort of bridges both media and entertainment with e-com and retail in a safe, mobile-friendly environment. Right. Yeah. When I first heard of this and then, you know, checked out the Instagram and the app, it really does just feel like this almost in a good way in your face, entertainment, music, fashion, culture, like all of it. And then you start seeing drops. Like what is the drop? So the drop is the daily product offering and networks positioning has always been and always will be to offer consumers exclusive products. And that exclusivity can come in a few different ways. One, it could be something that network and an athlete, a brand, a celebrity create in a proprietary way that we offer consumers only on network. It could be a product that um, a brand like Nike or Puma or Adidas is doing on their own, but they're launching it a few days early on network. So it gets that consumer sort of the first in line access. Or it could be something that we totally create in-house that's kind of new to world and we're doing it through our internal creative service and lab services to bring a new to world idea to the market. So the idea is, and you know, it's kind of a very popular consumer trend that the consumers are shopping and are really sort of motivated by drop culture. And, and that really refers to an ephemeral somewhat exclusive, limited time only product offering. And that ephemeral nature creates an awful lot of demand generation and among the youth has been referred to as drops and drop culture. That all sounds cool, but like, can you give me some examples of maybe a celebrity that you guys have worked with and what they dropped? Yeah, so there's a a great one that we just did yesterday. It was also had a really awesome charitable component. We partnered with the artist Takashi Murakami, who's probably one of the most famous, most relevant pop culture fine artists right now. We did six different prints, pieces of artwork that were all limited edition. Each one was signed by him, 300 units each. 
they were all tied to Black Lives Matters and went to three different charities supporting social justice. So the content sort of like featured him, why he felt like this cause was something that he really needed to get behind, showed him creating the artwork, signing it all, sort of gave the consumer that in-depth, intimate experience in his art studio. And then when the broadcast went live, consumers could purchase the product. And in this case, 100% of the proceeds went to Black Lives Matters. And I believe we raised, I look at the final numbers, but we raised over $1.4 million yesterday for those initiatives. Wow. That's amazing. Congratulations on that. You said each one had like 300 pieces. So this is the only place to get those, right? You can't go anywhere else to get the same uh, work, right? Correct. So there was six prints, 300 units per. Each one of them was hand-signed. Wow. Each one of them had a different sort of motif inspired by the Black Lives Matter movement. Yeah, we were the only place to get it. And the demand was exceptionally high. I just saw a report over five and a half million people viewed the content. And obviously, there was 1,800 units. Mm. So the viewership was amazing and and people get that entertainment value out of it, even if they aren't able to purchase the product because of the high demand. Or in this case, I think the price point on each one was around $800. So the price point was quite high as well. Wow. Yeah. And how fast did those sell? Seconds. Seconds. Yeah. Because we allow people, basically they click notify me, which when the sale begins, they get a push notification that the episode is live. And the demand was just so high that in under a minute, they were all sold. That's incredible. So who's buying these? The audience is predominantly between the ages of like 18 and 35. About 80% of the business right now is in North America. So they are top DMA center city dwellers. They tend to be very multicultural in demographics, upwardly mobile singles. The majority of the viewership tends to be sort of in that 18 to 30 range. And then the majority of the purchases tends to be in that 25 to 35 range. So like particularly with these more higher price point products, the more affluent audience tends to gravitate to them. How does that partnership with someone like Takashi or anyone else that you're working with form? Are they coming to you guys? How are you getting these big names? It's a lot of just evangelism. We have a great team of merchants and partnership people who come from various backgrounds, come from specialty retail or come from media brands like Complex and Vice, and they have pre-existing relationships and they are working hard and tirelessly out there evangelizing the brand. We do a good job of taking an example like what we did yesterday with Takashi and we will package that and merchandise it out to people that don't work with us currently. And the big opportunity, and, and certainly, you know, we're fairly new business and so not all people see it yet. We have some sort of evangelism to do. But the big opportunity is we're tapping into an audience that these artists that these retailers, that these brands don't service. There's so little overlap, which provides these artists, these brands, these other people with an incremental audience opportunity to like build awareness and cachet with a, a highly elusive audience. And then right. ultimately to drive sales with a consumer they don't already have. 
that's the big opportunity for people because a lot of people, hey, I can monetize my Instagram, but if we only have five or ten percent overlap with your Instagram audience, we're giving you ninety to ninety-five percent potentiality with new consumers. Yeah, that makes sense. You're really creating like live events in the virtual world here, which of course is of utmost importance right now. How do you guys view your role in the live event space, given just the engagement you have and the relationships you have with these musicians and talent? Pre-COVID, we love the live event space. (laughs) Aaron, who's the CEO, and I, our last business together was building ComplexCon, which was a really like a physical sort of retail and entertainment experience. So we have a, a lot of heart for it. But as the world has changed pretty dramatically, we've sort of pivoted our learnings from participating and building physical live events to doing them virtually. And coming up August 25th and 26th, we're launching our first ever two-day festival called Transfer. It's a mix of art, music, fashion, collectibles. It will feel very much like a con or a festival that you would go and experience, but it'll be delivered through the palm of your hand, through your iPhone. Every half hour, there will be a new performance, a new panel, a new merch drop. We have some of the best artists and collaborators lined up on it. So it's pretty exciting. And we think you know people still want to be entertained They still want access to their favorite artists. They still want that sort of in-depth content experience that they can share out on their social. And they want access to products that they find highly desirable, which they might have had at a Coachella or at a Comic-Con or at a ComplexCon, but those aren't available now. So we're delivering it to them in the safety of their home and the place that they are engaging. And we think that we can really eventize live digital entertainment that is a hybrid of really engaging, entertaining fan moments with retail moments. Yeah. Any guesses on how many people you expect for this live event? Yeah. So there are kind of two ways to look at it. We believe we will have, and this is kind of evidence yesterday, over 5 million people watched the Takashi content. So we think at a minimum, we'll get 10 million people watching the content. So like viewers, and we'll have between 125,000 and 250,000 people shopping over the two days. So if you kind of think about it, it's potentially bigger than a Coachella of shoppers. In terms of viewers, you know, I don't know what a comparable would be, but certainly bigger than a, an NBA Finals game or something like that. So not bad for the company that started uh, 18 months ago, for sure. Those are some real numbers. I wanted to sort of dive into the tech you guys are using. A few weeks ago on Kinsider, we covered the world of AR, augmented reality. How are you guys using AR and and thinking about the space to enhance the shopping experience? So we're really excited about something that others are calling and we're sort of running with it called Virch, which is virtual reality merchandise. And we launched our first product a couple uh, weeks ago. We worked with an artist and they designed a Nike sneaker reimagined with like gold wings. It was just like a fun piece of art. It was like a companion product that we sold to the physical product. So the physical product was a higher price point. I think it was $450. And then the Virch 
was $3. So for consumers that, hey, maybe I don't want to buy the physical product for 500 bucks with shipping, I can get this AR piece that I can share out on social. I can sort of place it in my Instagram feed, all those kind of things that are fun to do with that kind of content. And I can do it for a relatively low cost of entry. And that product, we're going to do more and more of that in collaboration with artists. You know, Obviously, there's not a lot of capping in terms of scale or the ability to scale that virtual merchandise. So we feel like that could be not only a great user experience and a low bar entry and a fun level of entry for consumers, but also a big revenue driver for us as there's not really a, a capping of inventory on that. Yeah, definitely. You kind of mentioned, you know, pre-COVID a few minutes ago. Let's talk about how COVID has changed your business. You guys obviously operating in the virtual space. Maybe it hasn't affected you as much as uh, some others, obviously. But what are you guys seeing? Is it good? Is it bad for business, obviously? <laughs> and what are you learning? It's accelerated our business. Okay. And so I'll talk from the user's perspective at first. So one of the biggest things we started when self-quarantining and then government-led quarantining started, traditionally, we saw people come into the app when the shows were live. Like That's when we got close to 100% of the audience. They would come in, they'd get the push notifications, watch it, purchase, sort of had that experience. As COVID started to happen, we started to notice a lot of people coming into the app at non-broadcast time. So our engagement started to go up and some of our in-stock, our shop tab, we started to get more engagement there, more purchasing there, which also led us to adding more shows. So right now, at a minimum, we're doing one show a day, oftentimes two, but we're scaling up to where by the end of the year, we're doing three to five shows a day. So we were feeling like, okay, consumer has more time on their hand. They've got more interest. We can offer them more entertainment and more products. So that's sort of one thing we're doing. We saw a huge increase in consumers and purchases from March to April. It it literally doubled month over month. And we've seen Mm. not that doubling every month, but we've seen beating plan growth month over month. This past week was the best seven days that we've ever had by a long shot. Nice. Which is also really impressive because as you know, a retail business, our biggest weeks and our biggest months tend to be in Q4. Yeah. You know, don't tend to be the middle of summer. So it's it's pretty encouraging there. The e-com side has grown, it's remained strong. The consumer has not waned. Obviously, we're keeping an eye on things like a stimulus or the lack of going to affect things. So, you know, we want to be prepared if there are shifts we need to make. We do do some sponsorship business or like branded content business. That was pretty challenged in Q2. It has seemed to pick up here in Q3. It's probably like 20% of our overall business. So it's not a huge impact. But just as brands, as advertisers sort of restricted, that became challenging. But I think things are progressing a bit from um, an operations perspective, like creating the shows, creating the social content, getting the products on board. Everyone has really executed really well transitioned really well to creating safer at home content, like all of our hosts, all of our talent, all of our partners. We've either figured out a way where our production team could work with them in a safe way that they felt comfortable with. Or in some cases, talent were like, hey, I don't really want anyone around me right now. So in that case, we were like literally 
most people don't need a ton of training on it, but we were helping them if they needed any training on how to capture content that would right. make sense and fit the network environment. But with most of these talents, they're so used to shooting directly into camera for their own social media. They need very little help and it feels natural. It feels endemic, feels intimate to the consumer because like we're all working from home. Yeah. So if the talent's talk, talking to you from home, it almost feels like, oh, hey, I'm FaceTiming with this person. <laughs> it feels like, right. you know, super relevant. It's authentic. Well, I'm in a closet right now, so I think that's pretty relevant too. <laughs> and actually, you know, for everything you just said, what I hear is retail business is up, but we're actually really becoming like an entertainment company as well. People are now coming to you guys to consume and, you know, you're a media company that sells things as well. So it's really interesting from my side. And that's one of the reasons I wanted to have you on because retail is not typically something that we would dive into on Kinsider. However, the tech that you guys are using, and then also you're an entertainment company by default or by plan, either one. Yeah. Um, so it's very interesting. It's always been the plan to like reimagine in a culturally relevant way, in a way that speaks to millennials and Gen Z in a way that feels very native to them. What kind of that QVC or HSN experience was for my grandma. They feel like that content's great for them, you know, selling rotisserie chicken cookers and Kathy Lee Griffith sweaters, right? But to your average 24, 28-year-old, that seems very foreign. Even watching television and ordering something off the phone, it seems kind of like crazy to them. But speaking to them in vertical video with talent who they're watching every day in vertical video through Snapchat, through TikTok, through Instagram, and then offering products that are tied to that talent, it feels in culture to them. It feels organic to them, native to their daily experience. Absolutely. We want to entertain them, educate them on products or on different moments in time, and then give them access to products that they cover. Taking a step back, we only have a few more minutes left. I want to get your thoughts on how do you think, anyway, more traditional retailers are looking at your business, the network? Is it something that you think that they're going to need to try to replicate in some way? Or do you view it as even though same industry, maybe different industry, if that makes sense? And when you say traditional retail, you mean like Macy's, Westfield, Big Box, any shop that might be at the mall or... Yeah, I think if they're not, they're kind of crazy just because if you look to the East, if you look to China, entertainment and retail together in a live stream environment is massive. Network, we're really the first and we're certainly the most advanced in that marketplace. And no one has really cracked it to a large degree here in North America. So if I was sort of a traditional retailer, I would really be looking at ways to engage in live video formats with talent that makes sense for not only my brand, but for the consumer and offer consumers that experience. Because I think the COVID has accelerated the trajectory of decline with these mall-based retailers or big box retailers, you know, the more of those brands can do, they, a lot of them have tremendous brands and iconic brands, 
the more they can do to pivot to engage consumers where they want to be and where they are naturally is going to benefit their business. Network is a very curated marketplace. But in many examples, we just did an example this week. LeBron James owns a store in Miami called Unknown. And we had that retailer come on, do a live broadcast, and they retailed the products from their store. So we're offering as a service to retailers, and obviously it'd have to be the right ones for our audience, the opportunity to tap into our audience through our marketplace. They display the products they want and tell the story they want. And we take a percentage of the GMV that they sell. And it becomes, uh, to my point before, you know, they're tapping into a totally new audience, a much larger audience than they would have. And if you think about geography, LeBron's store in Miami, their consumer base lives in Miami. But if they do programs with network, they're reaching people in Seattle, Minneapolis, Chicago, Dallas, New York, etc. So it can be a great right. tool for them. It's a different way to look at Amazon, in a sense, for them. This allows them to control the narrative instead of just having a storefront and a marketplace like Amazon. Amazon and Walmart, they're the best, right? But it's all ubiquitous. It's very like essentials. It's very basic. I'm huge users of those platforms for like the things I need for my kids and like the household. But if you want something with point of view, if you want something, a big thing that network offers also to brands and retailers is editorial cachet. So we have the personality of right. a bleacher report, of, of a complex, of a vice, of a GQ. And like having that editorial cachet and point of view does a lot to not only set the right tone and mindset and attract the right consumer, but also helps frame those brands because they know you look at Nike pulling out of Amazon, right? It's like they have no control in there. They're in there with toilet paper and everything else that they don't want to be associated with. But on network, it's like, hey, I'm among a content type that I believe in. I'm with a cohort of consumers that I want to reach. And I'm amongst brands that I consider peers, not Charmin. Nothing against Charmin. I love Charmin. You know, if I'm Nike, I don't want to be merchandise next to Charmin. It almost goes to a lot of things I'm seeing, especially in media, is more niche programming. Instead of just casting the widest net possible to get as many ears or eyeballs, people want a certain audience because they know that audience is going to be a lot more effective in buying whatever they're selling or engaged, whatever the case is. And, and that's really what you guys offer to someone. If you've already got that audience built... I just want to go there. I don't want to be one of 10 million right. storefronts on another marketplace that's reaching literally everybody because you can be lost very quickly. Yeah, it's about depth of connection, right? right? So like the audience on network, it's growing really fast and we have aspirations to get really big. But the goal is always the depth of connection. It's to have a trusted editorial point of view with that audience and I think when you have that depth of connection and you're seen as credible and you're seen as relevant, you can still put up enormous commercial wins, but you don't lose the credibility. I think a lot of people in the media space, you've seen this with a lot of like what I'll call like traditional digital publishers, they go a mile wide yeah. and an inch deep and they don't succeed starting to see them stumble where the folks that stayed really core to their message and the depth of connection was more important than the width of connection, they'll make it through these challenging times. Exactly. And post-COVID, I think that's going to be more transparent than ever that you have to know your audience and your audience has to also think you're authentic to be successful. 
100%. Well, Moksha, I really appreciate you coming on Kinsider. This has been great learning about network and also the future of retail, as I'm sure a lot of people think. So thank you. Thanks a lot and uh, stay safe. Talk to you soon. You too. Thanks. Bye-bye. That's our show for today. Thank you to Moksha and the entire network team that helped put this together. If you'd like to learn more, you can find them at thenetwork.com. That's N-T-W-R-K, no vowels, thenetwork.com. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider sharing it with a friend. Subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, follow us on Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts to make sure that you never miss an episode. For Kindred Media, I'm Chris Peterson.